is the Victorian Country Hour with Warwick Long on ABC Radio Victoria. With that finally getting that feeling of sun on your back or your face, many farmers are going up and back and up and back harvesting crops right around our wonderful state. Whilst you're doing that, I want to know from you the weirdest thing you have ever seen whilst harvesting a crop. The reason is a story today on the Country Hour comes from the sky. So, yes, yeah, so I was just, just plugging away and I looked out to me side and I'm like, geez, that's a big shadow. That must be a big bird up in the sky. And then all of a sudden this hang glider just comes straight over the top of me and just landed in the paddock right in front of me. A hang glider landing in the paddock. Can you beat that? Can you tell me something else that that is weird that has happened whilst you've been harvesting? You can send a text 0467 842 722. You can call 1300 977 I really want to know if anything stranger than a hang glider has landed in a paddock or happened to you whilst you've been harvesting a crop at any stage of your farming career or otherwise. Right now on the Country Hour, though, let's go to rural news and Emma Field. Emma. Good afternoon, Warwick. After mass dumping of fruit in 2022, avocado growers are bracing for another year of oversupply off the back of increased production and another big flowering. Avocados Australia Chief Executive John Tyus says there are four million trees in the ground compared to one and a half million trees ten years ago. Nearly half of all the trees planted in Australia are yet to come into full production. So this isn't a one-off. What we've just seen, it's going to continue over the next few years as we continue to increase our production up to about 170,000 tonnes, up from about 80,000 tonnes in 2021. So we're going through a massive growth phase and and, um, obviously the industry is going through some fairly serious growing pains. So yeah, very tough year last year, but uh, we're doing everything we can to build demand in the domestic market, but, but also developing new export markets. And yesterday, changes were made to federal biosecurity legislation to increase penalties for those caught breaking the law. Penalties are now between two and a half times and up to eight times more than previous fines for breaches of the Biosecurity Act. Failure to comply with these new requirements will now result in civil penalties of up to $266,400 or an on-the-spot fine of $4,440. A Bendigo livestock agent is expecting prices to stabilise after large falls in the price of sheep and lambs at sale yards in the past week. More than 28,000 head were on offer on Monday, with lambs falling as much as $40 a head and sheep by $70. Meanwhile, at the new Hamilton sheep sale last Friday, some sheep made just under $2 a kilo, where six weeks ago they were making $6. Elders Bendigo livestock agent John Sutherland says there are a lot of factors at play. The greatest conversation, I reckon, is the, um, the amount of store lambs that are available and the decrease from restockers. You know, Some store lambs would be $50, $60 cheaper than what they were this time last year. There's a massive supply of them you know, out of a market. You might be 75% store lambs and 25% killable lambs, which is very unusual. It's seasonal. You know, the seasonal conditions being too wet for too long. I haven't had a chance. You know, lambs need sun, and now we've got an abundance of grass that's grown above them, and the quality of feed's gone out of it. Supermarket Coles is expanding its carbon-neutral beef range with Victoria, New South Wales, South Australia and Tasmania now able to buy the product. The range buys beef from low-carbon-emitting producers and buys carbon credits to cover their total emissions. The program was buying 200 animals a week to cover Victoria, but now the expansion will recruit more farmers. Dr Stephen Wiedemann from Coles says the carbon-neutral beef is certified. We do that certification work. We certify effectively the emissions and any carbon removals on every farm that's in the program and uh, right through the supply chain as well so through processing as well and then it's not just it's not just us and our word for it either our work is then third party verified 
And finally, it's approved by Climate Active, who are the, the sort of certifying body and they're part of the federal government. And a Gippsland organic vegetable grower has been recognised for its environmental stewardship and commitment to the industry. Bush Organics won the Chairman's Award at the Australian Organic Industry Awards in the Hunter Valley. Kane Bush is part of the family business that's been operating at Lindeno for more than 100 years and growing organic produce for 22 years, and he's honoured by the award. There's definitely challenges. The last couple of years have been incredibly wet and we've, we've lost a lot of crops uh, due to something out of our control, but despite that, we've still managed to, you know, to feed um, thousands of people around the country. Like The organic market, whilst it's still small, um, is, is rapidly growing. So it's an award like this um, to put organics uh, in the spotlight and, and generally um, the Lindeno Valley where... A lot of other family businesses working really hard to, to do what we're doing as well. So, yeah, it's, um, it's an honour. And for today, Warwick, that's Rural News. Thanks for that, Emma. Good to hear some, some nice news there in Rural News today. You're listening to The Country Hour, though, and I want to know the weirdest thing you've seen harvesting. Emphasis on weird. What is something completely strange that you have seen whilst you've been out harvesting uh, a crop? Because... We're about to hear of a mighty strange one, and it's pretty good, really. So if you've got an example, I would love to hear what you think. Steve says, I was mowing a paddock near Denny once in the middle of nowhere, days before cabs on your tractor, and I heard an engine look to my left to see a crop spraying plane heading straight for me in the neighbours. That's brilliant, Steve. Thank you very much for that. I wonder how a plane compares to a hang glider. Let's find out. Brad Walder was in the header out harvesting canola near Warren in the Victorian Mallee when he saw a shadow passing overhead. But as he told Luke Radford, it wasn't a bird or indeed a plane. It was a rather off-course hang glider. Uh, well, I was just, I was, I was just yeah, chewing away there, doing some standing canola. She's not real easy, um, easy going this year. So, yeah, so I just... Just plugging away, and I looked out to me side, and I'm like, geez, that's a big shadow. That must be a big bird up in the sky. And then all of a sudden, this hang glider just comes straight over the top of me and just landed in the paddock right in front of me. And then, um, yeah, he obviously knew that we weren't going to slow down or we couldn't slow down, so then I seen him scurrying out of the crop and onto the harvested stuff, and, yeah, he just sat there waiting like a wounded eagle for a while. <laughs> <laughs> Is it, I mean, has anything like this happened to you before? What a ridiculous question, but, like, come on. Nah, nah, I've, ne- I've never seen anything like it. And it's good because this year everyone sort of hopes it down and, yeah, there's not a lot of bloody stuff going on. So things like this, if you can send them viral and get a bit of a laugh out of it, it's real good. So did you, did you get a chance to chat to him or did he scurry off before you got that? Nah, he sort of got out of the way because I don't think, I think it was in one of those spots where you can't park there. We'll harvest him. So, yeah, we couldn't really stop and have a chat. But, yeah, he, he soon got someone to come pick him up about oh, half an hour, 40 minutes later. Well, it, it, it looked like he kind of dropped between you and the, the harvester that was in front of you as well. So it looks like he had a little bit of clear space. Do you think that was um, uh, like intended or he just kind of plopped, plopped down there by accident? Well, I reckon he's landed on the stuff that wasn't harvested because landing on harvested uh, canola stubble isn't real pleasant. So I think he's seen a softer cushioning in the uh, in the unharvested stuff, so that's where he sent it down in there. Well, it was pretty. It looked like it was pretty high canola as well, because he was when he crashed down. I mean, you could see the the hang glider itself sitting on top, but he was kind of buried buried in the crop itself. Yeah, well, the crop was probably nearly two meters tall, so all I could see was like this big triangle thing in a little white helmet head walking across the crop as he got out, and then seeing that it was a human. And yeah, I got to ask, you know, long days in the header. Did you think you were saying things? Nah, she wasn't late in the day, late enough in the day for that, mate. Nah. <laughs> so is I mean, is it a big hang gliding area? I mean, is is this a? Do you see them around the place a lot in the area? Because I must admit, I don't think I've ever seen a, a hang glider actually out in the wild. Well, I have seen. I've seen them on the way to the paddock here, but they were probably I don't know five k away from here. So I guess hang gliding, you don't have really much choice in where you land, as I well seen. Yeah. So, so they yeah. are around, but I've never seen them like that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, another great story for, for Harvest this year. I guess as well, I mean, tell, tell me a little bit as well about the um, place you're working at the moment. And putting aside, you know, mysterious hang gliders falling from the sky. How's the, the crop looking at that? You said it's two metres high. Yeah, well, it's, it's looking good, but we have, um, it has been knocked around a fair bit from hail and wind damage. So, yeah, 
yeah, it's, it's, it's not real positive, but it is what it is, and we're grabbing what we can, and, um, yeah, we'll keep rolling on. We're Aussie. Everybody stay positive and, and have a laugh. That's head operator Brad Walder from Central Victoria speaking there about the Wayward Hang Glider, which crashed, crashed into the canola crop. He was harvesting, wasn't a bird, wasn't a plane, was a hang glider who in, ended up legging it out of the crop with the glider in tow. Luke Radford was speaking to Brad Walder, and he can join us now because we've been on a mission, Luke, haven't we? We've we been trying been mission, to find the hang glidist, the hang glider. I don't know what we call them, but how have you gone so far? Well, fortunately, the Western Victorian Hang Gliding Club have been very useful uh, in this particular endeavour of ours. So I gave, gave them a call a bit earlier this morning. And we have managed to track down the hang, glide, hang glidist. I think that's the right term in question, of course. Um, but na- I guess naturally, given the situation, you know, winding up in a paddock of canola by accident, he wasn't too keen to chat to us publicly. So um, we, won't, we won't share any further information about uh, his name. But apparently... He has become somewhat of a cult hero in that particular section of the Mallee. We've heard that last night in the pub he was asked to sign a few bits and pieces. I think he signed a shirt and a high-vis. Um, and also, we have heard that uh, he got a, a photo with someone from the Birchip Bakery earlier this morning. So so if the Birchip Bakery is listening to this right now, we want to see this photo. Is that the... <laughs> Absolutely. You can email it to countryhour at abc.net.au. Uh, Luke, do we know if this is a common occurrence, uh, hang gliders dropping into crops? Well, I've got to admit, I've been trying to find a bit of bit more information out. I, I suspect, I have I have a suspicion, was that it is one of those rites of passage. I mean, you know, like you hear um, from people in the equestrian world or whatever, say you've got to fall off a horse X number of times before you're a real rider. I wonder if going, going off course on a hang gliding trip uh, and winding up somewhere you weren't intending to, whether that be a, a canola paddock or in someone's hedge, is a, a rite of passage. So if you hang glide and you're out there, text into the country out today... Um, I can't remember what the text number is. Zero four six seven eight four two seven double two. We've got you back. And Luke, just as you, we say goodbye to you, by the way, Reg sent a text saying about thirty years ago I was milking cows at around six a.m. when all of a sudden the cows all kicked the cups off, poop everywhere. Cows in the yard were trying to jump out of the yard. There was a hot egg balloon making an emergency landing right next to the dairy, and they didn't give much milk in the morning. They were petrified. <laughs> <laughs> says Reg. And I can imagine a cow would think that's rather strange. So I think you're right. There is a rite of passage if you are someone who takes to the skies. Maybe you've had to make an emergency landing in a farm. Yeah, and let's not lim- limit this to um, those of you who are harvesting. If you've got a farm or a property anywhere and you've had something strange wind up, whether it be outside the dairy or while you were shearing or mustering or the like, make sure you text in. Let us know. Brilliant. Luke, thank you. Cheers. Keep up the good work. That's Walkley Level reporting, isn't it? Finding the celebrity who has landed his hang glider in a crop. You're listening to The Country Hour. Let's get to matters slightly more serious at hand. As many farmers across Victoria are faced with weather-beaten crops this harvest, there are growing calls for Australia to embrace Scandinavian technology that would repurpose millions of dollars worth of wasted crops to help create energy. Jane McNaughton reports. In European countries such as Denmark, damaged crops and straw left over from grain or oilseed harvest are purchased from farmers by energy companies and burnt to create heat and power. This kind of natural waste is known as biomass, and processing this into power is called creating bioenergy. This gives producers a safety net, according to Victorian farmer Andrew Lang, who is also part of the World Bioenergy Association. There is this big sort of technology or development of of industry that is able to utilise all this stuff. And so if there is storm-damaged or hail-damaged or flooded crops like we've got here this year, uh, then that would just be able to go straight into that stream. Do farmers get paid for that? Yeah, there's a price at the receivable gate of the plant and uh, it's usually somehow linked to the price of oil on the world market so that the farmers are actually getting some revenue stream out of their straw on top of what they've got for the grain. And so it's more than enough to make it worthwhile. Plans are underway near Ararat in Western Victoria to build the largest biogas plant in the Southern Hemisphere. The Ararat Bioenergy Facility would buy straw and stubble from farmers within 150 kilometres of the planned site, according to Chief Executive of Pacific Heat and Power, Dr Scott Garrison. There's been a destruction of the actual um, grain head in, in many instances or, or, or you know, otherwise profitable elements to those crops. 
There is still standing biomass sitting there on the ground, as it were, that has been not otherwise disposed of up until this point. So there's a huge volume, a gold mine of biological resource that is actually sitting there that could be converted into a range of downstream value-added products. So instead of uh, perhaps torching this material and sending it back up into the atmosphere or even over-tilling excess products back into the soil where a large proportion of that ends up being broken down by microbes in the soil and, and ends up released as CO2 to the atmosphere anyway, we can make use of the energy value and potential of that material and displace natural gas or fossil gas. Dr Garrison says the project is currently undergoing feasibility studies, which are expected to be complete by September 2023, at which stage government approvals would be required to begin building the plant. Once complete, Ararat Bioenergy is projected to be worth $217 million, with approximately $2.5 million spent already in development. We recently used some fairly innovative cutting-edge satellite mapping technology that told us that prior, actually, we, we did this in, in mid-September prior to the floods actually hitting, but essentially it told us that within about a 150-kilometre radius of our project site, there was going to be this season approximately about 8 million tonnes of residues, and that's across wheat, barley, canola, oats, post-grain harvest that, that was, was there ready, ready for the taking, as it were. So what it does is it ultimately can provide that backstop of income and, and supply for farmers and a diversity in their income streams so that when these sorts of tragedies strike, at the very least, at least, you know, there's something there for them that they can take away. Denmark began embracing bioenergy in 1993 when legislation was passed that power companies were required to use one million tonnes of straw per year. And this increased in 2002 when many European Union countries banned the burning of stubble, according to Mr Lang. Those sophisticated plants that are now increasingly automated, mostly operating in the regions, taking straw just from the region. There are more and more of them being built. I think the last one in Denmark was commissioned in about 2016. So the Danes are going really strongly and uh, a lot of the other countries are following along using the Danish technology. But Mr Lang says in Australia, both state and federal governments lack awareness at a policy development level about bioenergy. We need to have it regarded as an eligible technology in the first place. The power coming from these plants is available on demand, so you can have it available 95% of the hours of the year. We need a first cab off the rank, basically, to show, to show what's possible. It, yeah, it really is a matter of someone biting the bullet. And, and, and the first one probably needs to be supported by state and federal government. That's cropping and sheep farmer from Lismore in southwest Victoria and member of the World Bioenergy Association, Andrew Lang, ending that report from Jane McNaughton. In Denmark, about 12% of the country's power comes from straw-fired power plants, along with other technologies such as biodigesters as well, which run off livestock manure and waste products to create fertiliser as a byproduct. And you can read more about that story online at abc.net.au slash rural. Uh, this is the Country Hour. We are shortened. The cricket is starting in about oh, six or so minutes, I suppose. Uh, plenty of your texts coming in on what is the weirdest thing that you've had land or that you've seen during harvesting or on your farm. This one says, while we were harvesting, we had a hot air balloon land as well. Thank you for that text. And Sue at Redcliffe says, years ago, mum was gardening on our sheep farm. Next thing, she heard a whoosh go over her head. It was a glider and landed next to her in the only flat paddock, our hay paddock on the farm. He had lost air and it was the only spot for miles to land. There was great excitement for us kids. It was in New Zealand, says Sue from Redcliffe. Sue, that's great. Great story. Thank you very much for sending that through. Michael Efron is a senior forecaster at the Bureau of Meteorology. I don't think you've ever had to land in a paddock, have you, Michael? No, no, it hasn't happened to me. But of course, uh, part of your industry does often end up in paddocks, doesn't it? Yeah, that's right. Uh, often the uh, the weather balloon uh, lands in, in a paddock. I've seen on Twitter uh, a few uh, photos of, of balloons uh, landing uh, in paddocks. So not surprising, uh, given that they are, are released uh, twice a day uh, from Melbourne. And, and then, of course, there's some across uh other parts of the country as well. So uh, certainly not a surprise. So they're still released twice a day from, from Melbourne, weather balloons? From Melbourne, yes, yes. So at, at around 10 or 11 in the morning and at night as well. So, um, yeah, very useful uh, for assessing 
uh, the, the temperature and moisture profile and, and also the wind uh, in the upper atmosphere. So very important uh, for, for forecasting. That's really cool. Uh, I, I better get you to give us a quick rundown of uh, weather, what's happening around our state at the moment. What are we looking at, Michael? Yeah, so pretty typical uh, conditions in a, a southerly airstream. So partly cloudy through uh, southern parts and mostly sunny uh, across the north, although a bit of patchy cloud over the northeast as well. We still have uh, some flood warnings out, minor to major flood warnings for the Murray. Uh, we have also seen a, a warning for the Yarra finalised, also after the Goulburn, so continuing to see uh, the warning list uh, reduce. Uh, in terms of temperatures for the rest of today, looking at the high teens or low 20s in the south, uh, across the north, around 24 to 28 degrees, so pretty mild there. And then uh, for the first day of summer, we should see pretty cool conditions in the south, mostly cloudy skies, some very light isolated shower activity uh, across the north, dry and uh, mostly sunny. Temperatures there, 25 to 29 degrees, and uh, around 19 to to 21 in the south, so pretty cool there. Then on Friday, uh, we are looking at pretty much uh, sunny throughout, uh, some patchy cloud over the northeast, perhaps some thunderstorm activity in the very far northeast uh, in the afternoon. Otherwise, a uh, pretty warm day. Temperatures through southern parts around 21 to 24, uh, 24 to 30 across the north with pretty light winds expected. On Saturday, we do see winds tending northerly, so temperatures increasing even more. Uh, low to mid-30s across the north, mid to high 20s in the south. Uh, a sunny day expected, afternoon coastal sea breezes. And then on Sunday, even warmer. Looks like a, a trough to the west will be uh, delayed until next week. So Sunday, we're looking at the mid to high 30s across uh, the northwest, otherwise uh, high 20s to low 30s across uh, the rest of the state uh, and those light northerly winds continuing. So a pretty warm weekend coming up. And then on Monday, we do see uh, temperatures still in the low to mid-30s across the Mallee. Elsewhere across the north, we're looking at the high 20s to low 30s. And then in the south, we do see a few showers starting to move in and temperatures generally in the mid-20s. And then on Tuesday, it looks like that shower activity will continue, especially through southern and mountain districts. Temperatures there back in the high teens to low 20s and across the north looking at the mid-20s. And then I think on Wednesday, we see that southerly actually pushing through northern Victoria as well. So temperatures there will drop back to uh, the low to mid-20s and looking at the high teens uh, in the south. But uh, no significant rainfall expected in the outlook and... Uh, we're actually looking at a pretty warm weekend and those overnight temperatures as well mm. uh, across the north northwest in the high teens uh, across the weekend. Oh, great information. Thank you very much for that, Michael. Thanks, Warwick. Senior forecaster at the Weather Bureau, Michael Efron. From the stories that celebrate the 4.4 million Australians with disability to the stories that break down barriers. Hi, I'm Jill Hicks. This Saturday, content makers with a disability across the country will shine a light on the great work developed and told by them right across ABC TV, online and ABC Radio. The Victorian Country Hour with Warwick Long on ABC Radio Victoria. Let's get some regional news headlines and find out what's happening around our state. Richard Crabtree has those for us this afternoon again. Good afternoon, Richard. Good afternoon, Warwick. The Victorian Nationals leader, Peter Walsh, says he believes the coalition agreement with the Liberal Party should remain in place ahead of party room discussion today. The Nationals secured nine seats in the state election, picking up Mildura, Shepparton and Morwell, while the Liberals suffered a third consecutive loss. Gippsland MP Danny O'Brien suggested the day after the election that the coalition agreement should be re-evaluated in light of the results. Mr Walsh says the matter will be discussed, but it won't have his support. Police say the body of a teenager has been found after he went missing in floodwaters in southwest New South Wales. 19-year-old Mutty Mutty man Nungara Kelly had been missing since Saturday, but when he was swept away in floodwaters from the banks of the Murrumbidgee River. Police say Mr Kelly's body was retrieved at Balranald, north of Swan Hill, at about 8.30 this morning.
Concerns have been raised over the environmental impacts of dredging in Victoria's southwest. Roughly 14 Olympic-sized swimming pools of sand is being pumped from the ocean floor at Warrnambool for a new boat ramp and being shot back into the ocean. Residents say the beach looks like a rubbish tip due to decades-old rubbish being stirred up from the seabed. Council says it will dispose of the rubbish. The latest Rental Affordability Index report shows that affordability has reached a historic low in regional Victoria. The rental market is now considered acceptable rather than affordable for the first time. Lead report author Alan Witter says the rate in which it has deteriorated across the pandemic is causing major issues. And construction students from disadvantaged backgrounds will help build a home for women escaping family violence as part of a new pilot project near Ballarat. Through the Homes to Help program, students will build the modular home which will then form part of the city's affordable housing stock. It's hoped the pilot will be expanded to help reduce Victoria's affordable housing waitlist. And that's the news for now, Warwick. Thanks very much for that, Richard. Richard Crabtree there with regional news headlines. You're listening to The Country Hour. We have been talking about the weird and wonderful things that have been turning up in your paddocks, especially when you've been harvesting, but really at any time of the farm because a hang glider landed on a property in northwestern Victoria, well, out in the Mallee. This is a little bit of that story from earlier today. So, yes, yeah, so I was just, just plugging away, and I looked out to me side, and I'm like, geez, that's a big shadow. That must be a big bird up in the sky. And then all of a sudden, this hang glider just comes straight over the top of me and just landed in the paddock right in front of me. And then the hang glider legged it and apparently ended up at the Birchip Bakery. So if there's a photo floating around that you can send our way, countryhour at abc.net.au, flick it to us in an email. We'd love to see that. I've been asking you what you've seen, though, and on the text line, Mark says, Hi, Warwick. I was crutching a few lambs last summer. Hot day, cricket on loud. Went to get water and in the bottom of my white plastic laundry trough, uh, a tub in the shed was a three-foot tiger snake. It left undamaged, but it must have been a cricket fan, says Mark. I love that, Mark. Thank you for that story. Keep them coming. We'd love to hear that. Graham's got a weather report for us as well. Hi, Warwick. 147 millimetres of rain recorded for November at Addington near Ballarat. The total for the year so far is 1,106 millimetres and four weeks to go. This is already a record at Addington. The highest ever recorded was 1,070 millimetres back in 1993. So you're already at 1,106, Graham. Of course, that uh, certainly is a record. Thank you very much for sharing that with us as well. Speaking of wet weather, let's talk about what it's doing in some areas of the state. A farmer in the Victorian Mallee is sending his grain 100 kilometres across the border into South Australia so he can deliver at a higher moisture than is being accepted at Victorian sites. Grain Corp applies a 12.5% moisture tolerance cutoff for cereals in line with Grain Trade Australia standards, whilst South Australian receivals have a 13.5% moisture tolerance. Ross Stone, who farms at Walpiup, says the cold and damp conditions are seriously limiting harvest hours as farmers wait for moisture to come down each morning and he's doing the best he can. This year we're, um, we're having a bit of an unusual harvest for the Mallee, cold, damp conditions. Headers sort of haven't been able to get going until near midday. Um, the moisture comes up overnight, slowly drops down as the day goes on and then comes up again the next night so you know traditionally we could have harvesters going 24 7 but this year just the, the damp cold conditions yeah moisture's the limiting factor on us getting our crop off okay so at all grain corp sites that moisture tolerance cut off for cereals is 12.5 percent but you'd like to see that that increased well ideally 12 and a half percent and at this stage there's been no tolerance at all so i've had a couple of loads um, a barley delivered, and they go, yeah, I've had, had one load get knocked back at 12.6%, um, another load at 12.7%, and, yeah, you've got to find another home for it, and I've, I've got trucks coming back to the paddock full, which, as you can imagine, slows the whole process down and stops things from rolling, and, yeah, i just like to see a little bit, bit of tolerance with the year that it is. What have you done with those truck loads when they have been turned around? We've put it into our own storage and then uh, we've had to try and blend it down with dry grain to get it back in. But that only happened a couple of times because 
we decided it was just going to be too much of a hassle, so we've we've had trucks coming in and, and taking grain over the border to South Australia, where the, uh, the limit is 13.5%. Mm, and that's essentially the, the limit across the border at receival sites in South Australia, 13.5%. So do you look at that and say, why couldn't that also be the case in Victoria? Yeah, well, it's pretty frustrating because us sending trucks 100 kilometres down the road to another state, we're passing two sites to get to, to South Australia. And as you can imagine, it's, it's not cheap sending trucks that far in peak season. So, yeah, I just, I don't know, like, I, I understand there's grain trade specs and that sort of thing. I I just, I find it hard to know why there's one rules for one state and one rules for another and why there's no lenience given the year that we're having with moisture being the, the big issue um, in timeliness. And I understand, though, that Grain Corp has increased its tolerances for some grain delivered direct to port. I think there was a message that went out about barley up to 14%. If it could be delivered straight to port, it would be accepted. Uh, What do you make of that? Yeah, well, they're not the only ones. Um, There's been a text um, floating around AWB, um, apparently trying to fill a ship as well. So they're taking it at 14% um, at a Sea Lake site. So yeah, look, I, I don't know. I, I can't understand why why can't they take it at their upcountry receival sites if they're willing to take it at port? You know, because we we can't have trucks leaving the farm going to port. Logistically, it's a nightmare trying to orchestrate trucks going that far. So I don't know. Maybe if they could open up a segregation at at their sites up here for that slightly higher moisture grain, it would certainly help us out. And you mentioned that that twelve point five is the industry standard from Grain Trade Australia. But I suppose on the flip side, we've seen that uh, with canola, mouldy canola, there's been an increase in tolerance or a new segregation created for canola with a high amount of mouldy seeds. So I guess there was flexibility there. And, and are you saying that you'd like to see that flexibility extended to other segregations? Yeah, ideally. I think it's just about sort of adapting with the season. You know, we're going to get years where it's where we've had moisture levels down to eight and nine percent in the past. You know, in, in the really hot, dry summers, and and this year, like they're not going to get every load high moisture. It's only one or two in the morning. You know, we had loads yesterday that the moisture got down to ten and a half percent by about five o'clock yesterday. Arvo, I just think there needs to be some form of tolerance to to accept the odd load over the limit, knowing that the average is still going to be well below the grain trade specs. You know, I, I feel sorry for the for the people in the sample stand because their hands are tied. They've got no control over over a load of grain. You know, as soon as the computer tells them it's twelve point six, it it um, automatically locks them out. So they've got they've got no control over it. And because that twelve point five percent is black and white, does that make you wary or anxious about starting up harvest too early each day? Yeah, well, it does. And, and to be honest, it's not affecting us in a great deal at the moment because we're simply bypassing grain corp. We're going to other sites that'll take it. So I'm, I'm just not prepared to run the risk of a load getting rejected. And you see that as, as worth the, the extra distance and extra cost to, to buy yourself that extra harvesting time? Yeah, definitely. Especially the way the, the weather the weather is at the moment. You know, you, the, the next weather front is always in the back of your mind and not far away. So, um, you know, and Christmas and the New Year's approaching rapidly and, yeah, I, I think most headers will still be going after Christmas this year, but that's usually a bit of a target to try and get it all off by then. So, um, yeah, whatever we can do to keep things rolling and, and get grain in the bins, we'll, we'll do at this stage. That's Walpi Up Farmer Ross Stone speaking there with Angus Verley and a Grain Corp spokesman said... And I quote, as shown by our work with industry on canola specifications, we are maximising value for growers where we can. But accepting high moisture cereals upcountry presents uh, challenges for storage and for meeting the requirements of our domestic customer base who expect 12.5% moisture or less. End quote from Grain Corp there. You're listening to the Country Arities 18 to 1. Now, when Albert Chan boarded a flight from Tonga, 
to Australia in April 2021. He never expected six months of seasonal work would turn into almost two years. But after pandemic border closures and losing contact with his family during a volcanic eruption, this month he and thousands of other Tongan nationals will finally fly home. Eliza Bellage caught up with Mr Chan during his lunch break at the Costa Group Packhouse in South Australia's Riverland to talk about finally getting the opportunity to go home. I started coming over here since 2017 yeah and we couldn't make it on 2020 because of the covid yeah no flight and then we finally make it on like 2021 to come over and then we uh we were expecting to just come over for like six months six to seven months then we go home but end of the season we didn't make it what happened we uh couldn't get a flight back home because of the covid back home our country the border was still locked so we couldn't make it home and then the company has to find us more work to do. That would be quite hard to process not being able to go home when you expect. Do you remember how you felt when you found out that news? Yeah, it was pretty sad. Yeah, and some of the boys were disappointed because they were expecting to see their families. Because normally it's just six months and now it's been the longest time that we are away from home, especially most of the boys. They didn't expect that. The federal government granted more than 13,000 visa extensions to help stranded seasonal workers continue working in key industries like agriculture. More than a quarter of those went to Tongan nationals like Mr Chan, who says his employer Costa Group found him additional work after the citrus season ended in the Riverland. We, we end up going to Tasmania picking berries. Yeah, our blueberries, uh, blackberries, strawberries and, yeah, and raspberry. Yeah, for a couple months and then we have to come back here for the start of the season this year. But while there's been plenty of support, he says the distance from family has been tough, especially amid disaster and disease. been a lot of challenges uh, since we were here, especially when we, we went to Tasmania. That was the first time that we got the COVID. Yeah, and then when we were quarantined with the COVID, and then we, we heard the thing that happened back home, the volcano and the tsunami. The magnitude 5.8 earthquake on January 15 destroyed Tonga's phone and internet connection to the outside world. And it, it was that time, it was pretty uh, sad and it was pretty difficult. Boys were worried about their families. Network couldn't, um, couldn't get any network back home to contact their family to see how they uh, check on them, how they are. Yeah, it was pretty hard. Yeah, for me, it took like almost a month to contact my family. It must have been such a relief when you heard from them and they were all all right? Yeah, it was. Yeah, since as I heard from them, yeah, they messaged me and, oh, thank God, they, they're still alive. <laughs> yeah, because we were from the other islands. <laughs> yeah, I think they were lucky when the volcano and the tsunami hit Tonga because we were here. Once we get uh, connected with them, then we send them money. Yeah, even the company that we work for, Costa, they load up a container full of food to support the families back home. Yeah, it was, uh, yeah, we do appreciate their help. And yeah. <laughs> so you're flying back home in, in less than a month. How do you feel about that? Pretty exciting. Looking forward to uh, see the families for like over a year and a half now, almost two years. And the beaches, swimming. Because we live in an island, we always swim every day. <laughs> Have you got like a first meal planned or somewhere you're going to stop and get food from or someone's house you're going to go to? Normally when we uh, go back home, the families will prepare seafood. Yeah, normally they get like octopus, um, oyster, lobster. Yeah, they get like those kind of food. Yeah, fish, the big one, raw fish. So you've been to Australia a few times, but this time was uh, a lot longer than you expected. Do you think you'll come back? Yes, I do. I do. Um, I'm going to come back next season because um, normally this is where we, we get money to support our families back home. Back home is hard to, uh, to get money and a good job, but we do get good money here when we work in Australia. And yeah, just support my mum. She lives in a different island and my grandparents, they, they live in a different island. And when we are uh, game over... Most of the boys have their own goals and yeah, what they're going to work for and use their money for. I've been like bought a new car, a piece of land with the money that I kept from working here in Australia, which is good, and support the family as well. 
That's Tongan seasonal worker Albert Chan speaking there with Eliza Bellage. You can read more about that online as well at abc.net.au slash rural. That story is up there and well worth a read if you get a chance. And you can see a photo of Albert as well before he heads home. Uh, home for Christmas kind of thing really, isn't it? Um, I won't play that for you on the Country Hour today. We have been asking, though, what's the weirdest thing you've ever seen whilst you've been out harvesting and also on the farm in general. We've had plenty of hot air balloons. We've had a story of a hang glider earlier in the program as well. I haven't had any gliders or anything else yet as well. You can send a text, though, 0467 822 Matt, who's a bird researcher, says, I get a few reports of bitterns. Was? Well, I hope you do, Matt. Uh... I don't know how weird that is. He says they themselves remain pretty weird. And if you've ever seen a photo of an Australasian bittern, you'll know what we're talking about. It's known as the bunyip bird and uh, well worth a Google if you ever feel like it too. That's pretty cool. Uh, and another message has come in. I won't read out to you because it contains drug references, um, but I think you get an idea of where that is going, don't you? Yeah. Better, better off we leave that there. Let's talk about a world record on the program now. A Victorian Highland cattle breeder has sold a 14-month-old heifer for a world record price of $67,500. Glenn Hasty has been breeding Highlands in Gisborne for 26 years and has never seen such demand for the rustic Scottish breed. The jaw-dropping price has even got people in the breed's home country of Scotland talking as it's doubled the previous breed record. Glenn Hasty told Annie Brown about how their spring sale unfolded and how the record price came to be. Out of this world for us, um, certainly going to uh, look after uh, our next lot of imported genetics and put up a shed for us. The top price went to 67500 for a 14-month-old heifer, uh, which is a, out of a bull that we've bred and by a cow that we've bred. Um, really, really nice heifer. Still, we weren't expecting that sort of price. The average price across the six lots was 38000 And interestingly enough, the previous sale that we had six months ago, the average price was 13000 uh, which we thought was amazing back then, but watching the online sale, watching the bids come in over the 48 hours, seeing them go up uh, within you know the, the first few hours to, to figures that were, were beyond our previous sale, we thought something special was going to happen. And then during the last probably half an hour, um, uh, the people who had the money and were interested certainly started um, competing fiercely. Uh, for a couple of animals in particular and this um, 14-month-old heifer uh, who we just put on the truck this morning to go off to the new home, um, she certainly attracted the most interest. $67,500 for this 14-month-old heifer. That's incredible. Is that some sort of world record or breed record or national record here in Australia at least? That I know of, any uh, all of the above. Um, certainly was a record for us and uh, a record for Australia for the breed. Um, somebody mentioned that must be a world record to me, so I made some contacts with people in Scotland and North America, and yeah, it's roughly double the previous previous records for each of those countries. So certainly more than what anybody's ever got back in the home country in Scotland. So last time uh, we spoke, Glenn, it was about six months ago and we were talking about the prices for Highlands soaring and, you know, $20,000 for a heifer was really incredible six months ago. So now <laughs> to see it at 67000 what's happened in the last six months to drive that price up? Yeah, good question and, and I wasn't expecting this. In fact, I would have been happy with similar prices to what we got six months ago. Uh, what's happened, I guess any of this is really just supply and demand and uh, it comes down to scarcity of good quality registered um, Highland females of, well for us, uh, they're from fully imported bloodlines so um, no other breed knowingly in there. They And I guess that perception of the breed um, as being something different and just not your normal black Angus that you have out in the paddock. Um, I guess the tree change from COVID 
for people over the last couple of years just culminated in more and more interest in such breeds and their temperament is exquisite and I mean they're just really really quiet animals so I think people who are less experienced with cattle are more interested in highlands than they would be in the other more commercial breeds. Interestingly enough the embryo side of things uh, what we were selling embryos for suddenly becomes pretty bloody cheap compared with 67000 for an actual cow so since a sale there's certainly been a considerable amount of interest in the embryos that we have in our tank at the moment. How much generally is an embryo? They might vary between a thousand and two or three thousand. What did they? What did your contacts in Scotland say when you contacted them and told them that you'd sold a heifer for sixty-seven thousand? Were they floored at being a, a breed from Scotland? Uh, yeah, no, f- flabbergasted. One of the uh, in-calf heifers that we sold for 57000 was by the most recent bull that we'd imported. So I let that fellow know. He's an ex-president of the Highland Cattle Society over there. And he, yeah, he was astounded and genuinely, you know, wanted me to let him know more and more about it as much as he could. And then he contacted me again about 12 hours later He'd obviously gone and spoken to somebody and it sounds like, yeah, he wants an article and some uh, images for the Scottish farmer, uh, uh, the main country newspaper over there as well. So it's it's generated a fair bit of interest over there. That's Glenn Hasty from Barnsley Highland Cattle in, Gids- in Gisborne in Victoria speaking to Annie Brown there. That world record heifer is on her way to New South Wales to live, of course, the Best of Victoria has to be bought from somewhere else, doesn't it? There you go. On the text line about the weird things landing in your paddocks, I was at, saw a couple of gliders when I was a kid at the other end of the farm. We went for a drive and 13 had landed. Had flown over orchards east of Shepparton and lost altitude because of cool air and couldn't get back high enough to keep flying. They sent two tow planes over from Benella to get them back up. That's incredible. I've also had a a few hot air balloons land in the same paddock, but that's a different story, says David. Oh, I love that story, David. Thank you very much for sending that through. Keep... Keep the stories coming. What's the weirdest thing you've seen land in your property? 0467 842 We've now had gliders. We've had hot air balloons. We've had hang, hang gliders as well. And, uh, yeah, a few other weird and wonderful things. Even a spray uh, plane come rocketing over the paddock as well. So keep the stories coming. 0467 842 And we had a taste of the markets earlier. It's time for the full market reports now on the Country Hour. To market, to market, we'll go to Warrnambool where the cattle market's going first today. Tim Delaney is there. Take it away, Tim. Good afternoon. Cattle numbers increased to 647 at Warrnambool. There was a significant lift in the close, some excellent growing steers, 10 with weight and some very good dealers in most agents' tray run. The cattle market was up and down and prices varied depending on the actual quality and the breed of the cattle. It was a mixed quality selection of grown heifers, cows and bulls. An extra buyer joined the regular buyers with price fluctuating in the different categories due to the quality and demand. Grown steers sold 10 to 20 cents dearer, cows were 5 to 20 cents cheaper. Good quality younger cattle sold unchanged to 10 cents softer. Bulls and freezer steers sold close to firm. Feelers to the trade made from 446 to 480 cents. Restockers and feeders paid from 400 to 480. Yearly steers of feeders made from 390 to 450 and prices paid to 440 cents. Smaller portion of grown heifers made from 284 to 410 cents. Feeders paid to 420. Heavy grown steers made 370 to 430 cents. Steers going on to feed sold from 360 to 474 cents. Heavy beef cows sold from 315 to 335 cents. Heavy dairy cows were from 278 to 320. It's been Tim reported at MLA Warnable. Thanks very much for that, Tim. We'll head to Lane Gather now. G'day, Brendan Fletcher. G'day, Warwick. There were 350 more at 1,040, with most of the usual buyers present, but not all operating fully in a mixed market. Quality was good in the trade, limited in the bullocks, while cows made up half the sale. Trade cattle eased up to 40 cents in places. Bullocks lost 25. Crossbred steers slipped 30 cents, while Friesians lifted seven with an extra buyer operating. Heavy beef cows sold firm. Dairy lots sold 20 to 50 dearer, with processors loading cows for an estimated 550 to 657 cents a kilogram. Carcass weight. Heavy bulls lifted 50 
15 to 30. Ground steers and bullocks sold from 400 to 424. Heavy Friesian steers 328 to 372. Crossbreds 295 to 420. Most light and medium weight cows 200 to 282. Heavy weights 278 to 346. Heavy bulls 328 to 380. This is Brendan Fletcher reporting for MLA. Thanks for that, Brendan. Let's go to the sheep and lambs and Graham Pimers at Horsham. Lamb supply increased to 7,400 and sheep numbers were down at 2,350. And quality was mixed with heavyweight lambs in limited numbers. The usual buying group operated selectively in a cheaper market on suitable lambs, back 25 to $30 a head. However, close to firm on the few pens of heavier lambs. Medium and heavy trade lamb sold from 157 to 195. Heavier weight sold from 195 to 238. Old lambs reached 196. Restockers paid from 122 to 153. Lighter weights from 34 to 107. And they paid from 79 to 89 for merino weathers in a good skin. Sheep offering sold to reduce demand to be 15 to 40 dollars at easier. Merino used made to 100. Crossbred used sold to 110. The light trade weight lamb sold from 127 to 152 and average 680. Medium trade weight sold from 157 to 173. They've averaged 680 to 710. The export weights sold from 195 to 238 to average 750 to 785. And extra heavy weights made to 234. Medium weight sheep sold from 33 to 66 to average around 250. Hobbits made to $150. Ram sold to 28. And Graham Pine with Horsham from LA. Thanks, Graham. Lucky last is Chris Agnew at Hamilton. Thanks, Warwick. Agents yarded 35,065 new season slams at Hamilton today, where the overall quality was far better than previous offerings, with more lambs displaying freshness and more weight. A larger field of buyers were present, and also there was a strong interest in store lambs this week. The market was softer by 15 to $20 per head over most weights, excepting lambs back to the paddock, which remained firm to slightly dearer. The top suckers so far have made $240 per head. New season's light lambs 12 to 16, making from 56 to 103. Light trade lambs 18 to 22, making from 96 to 155. They were averaging between 640 and 720 cents. Medium trade weight lambs 22 to 26, made from 136 to 203, and they were averaging between 680 and 740 cents. The heavy lambs over 26 kilos making between 7.20 and 7.80. This is an interim report as there's still three agents to still sell. At Hamilton, this is Chris Agnew reporting for MLA. And on the text line, this will be the last one. Uh, heard a helicopter overhead, sounded very sick, jumped into the car, headed down to where it landed. It was a homemade chopper and it stayed in our paddock for a few days before being trailered away. Nola, that's brilliant. I didn't even know there was such a thing as a homemade chopper. Thank you very much for you, Nola, and for everyone's stories today. This has been the Country Hour. Hope you have a great day. It's coming up to one o'clock.